turn with me to Romans chapter 14 as we get into God's word this morning. And you've got some notes in the worship folder, so I invite you to take those out as well. You know, it was back in the 70s, um, the people of New York noticed something strange that was happening 110 stories above the streets. It was very early in the morning they saw a guy casually walking between the twin towers of the World Trade Center, balanced on a taut steel cable that he had stretched across the night before. How he did that, I have no idea. Um, This young man was in his 20s at the time. He was a professional tightrope walker, and he walked and danced and ran across those, that 140-foot span at least eight times. And it was after nearly an hour that he finally got off and had police on both sides waiting to arrest him. Um, <clears throat> friends had wanted him to wear a safety harness, but he did not want to do that. They tried to warn him about the dangers of the wind, And they said that uh, the wind alone could knock him off of the wire. And if the wind started swaying the towers, it could snap the cable that he was walking on. But he didn't want anything to restrict the feeling of complete freedom that he had as he was doing that. I I can't imagine uh, that feeling of walking across a tightrope. It wouldn't be a feeling of freedom for me. It would be sheer, utter terror. So the only crutch that he had was a 55-pound balancing pole. And he believed that the feeling of freedom was worth all the risks and that if he had that balancing pole, that was all that he needed. So two weeks ago, we looked at the first half of Romans chapter 14. And it was a little bit like the acrobat, that acrobat on the wire. uh, Experiencing this amazing feeling of freedom in Christ that we do know as Christians. And remember, we could kind of summarize up our time two weeks ago with Augustine's quote, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, that's the freedom we have in the essentials and the non-essentials, and in all things charity. Well, the verses we're looking at today explain the balance that we have to have while we're walking along that tightrope of this freedom. It's like we're all holding on to that 55 pound balancing pole. And on the one hand, we have self-control, and on the other hand, we have love for others, and neither end should be higher than the other. They should balance out perfectly. So if we would have stopped at verse 12 a couple weeks ago, and if the rest of the chapter didn't exist, we would think that, uh, we might think that we should just let the weak people, weak, those who are weak spiritually, continue to be weak. Uh, but that's not what we see here in the rest of the chapter. And this is on your outline. The principle that we are to live by is brotherly love. So let's read our passage, Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that, is, that does not come from faith is sin. So this is God's word for us today. So if we love each other and we as a body do, then we will focus on what it takes to building each other up. Uh, we're, we're, we're all responsible for each other's growth in the body of Christ. Uh, men, if you were at the breakfast yesterday morning, this is what Brad spoke about. This just fits in exactly with what he talked about yesterday morning. Uh, we know that we have to accept one another. That's part of what it means to be in the body of Christ. We accept each other. And we also know that we can have disagreements on certain issues. Uh, and even though we disagree on certain issues at the same time, both of those who disagree on those issues might be perfectly right with God. What Paul does, and you have this on your outline, uh, what Paul does in these verses is give us what we need to do that will help us help each other. And in the end, be unified like Jesus prayed for us to be in the true Lord's Prayer in John 17, where Jesus prays for us. So we, we know that we all need to submit to the Lordship of Christ. That's a given. We know that. Uh, and understanding that, we know we will give an account of ourselves before God. It's like we don't have to worry about everybody else. We need to first be concerned about the fact that we will give an account of ourselves to God. So how are we to deal with the conscience of the weak brother or the weak sister? What are we to do? Well, the first thing on your outline, number one, is to determine not to be a source of stumbling. Not to be a source of stumbling for them. Verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. 
The words here that Paul uses are important. The word stumbling block means that there's something that's carelessly left around that, uh, that causes someone to fall. Uh, parents, have you ever stepped on Legos? Then you know exactly what I mean. That's the stumbling block, the stumbling Lego block. And obstacle means something that's deliberately left to trap someone. I guess that could be uh, Lego blocks too if somebody puts them there on purpose for you to step on. But that's an obstacle. But what Paul is saying is that when we exercise our Christian freedom, uh, we shouldn't cause someone to stumble, stumble either accidentally or on purpose. This is like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. You have better things to do than to hunt out the speck in the eye of your fellow Christian while overlooking the plank in your own eye. So we all know that. We should focus on ourselves because we are going to be judged before God. Not be so concerned about what's going on in the lives of another brother or sister. Uh, verse 14, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So Paul is just agreeing with what Jesus says in Mark chapter seven, when he says that nothing that a man or a woman eats pollutes them, pollutes their heart. Things like food and drink are morally neutral. They don't contaminate someone or make them unclean. In other words, if a new believer, think of a new believer in, in Rome, who has a Jewish background, if he believes that certain meats are unclean and that he should not eat them, then they are truly unclean to him. And he would sin if he ate them. So any behavior that weighs on someone's conscience shouldn't be done. Look at verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. So when Paul says, do not by your eating destroy someone at the end of verse 15 there, he's saying that he's horrified if someone would flaunt their freedom and eat meat in front of someone to deliberately shock them. That they know that this person, for that person it's sin, for them to deliberately do something like that would be wrong. So he says instead the key is acting in love. If you want to underline that in verse 15, that's what he says is the key. Instead of eating in front to make someone stumble, you act out of love. Martin Luther uh, wrote a short book that was entitled On the Freedom of a Christian. Just what we're talking about. And in that book he writes this, a Christian is a most free master of all, subject to none. And at the same time, a Christian is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So that's the balance. That's the perfect balancing beam right there. We have this freedom, but at the same time, we're subject to all. Subject to none and subject to all at the same time. We're immensely free in Christ, but our only bondage should be the bond of love for our fellow believers. Uh, in other words, the exercise of our freedom is controlled by love. It's out of love for the weaker brother and sister. So here's, this is important because here's what this does not mean. This does not mean that we're to do everything that the immature person wants or does not want us to do. 
We're, we're not called to be uncritical and to limit our freedom at every turn for those who are legalistic. But we can think about it. God's given us a mind to be able to think about these, these things, to discuss them with the weaker brother, hopefully to bring them up to maturity, for us to love them more at the same time, and especially about things that are not biblical. Paul dealt with similar problem in 1 Corinthians uh, where he, the question was, and this was a little bit different, but should a Christian eat meat that had been offered to idols in heathen temples and then was sold to eat for anyone to eat? Some people didn't have any problem with that at all. For other people, it was wrong to eat that meat because it had been sacrificed to idols. So here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1. He says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. So we want to focus on strengthening the church. The strong Christian has spiritual knowledge, but, but if he does not practice love, he's just going to hurt the weak Christian. And we need to be sensitive to each other. You know, it's a little bit like the, 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 when my, uh, my oldest son was a couple years old and was sleeping in his bed, he, he said, you know, Dad, can you leave the light in the hallway on? I was like, yeah, sure, we can leave the light in the hallway on, but... But son, you don't ever have to worry because Jesus is with you. And a few minutes later, I was walking by his room and, and uh, he shouted out to me and he said, hey, Jesus, come here. Well, I need to work on his theology a little bit. But the point was, is that the Lord is with us when, when, no matter what happens. But kids sometimes have unreasonable thoughts like that. And, and so... Uh, if you think of a little kid who, who feels like he can't go to sleep because a, a boogeyman is in his closet and is going to come out and get him. Well, the parent has the knowledge that that's not going to happen. But the knowledge alone isn't going to take away the fear of the child. What takes away the fear of the child is when the parent sits down on the edge of the bed and patiently and lovingly explains and takes him by the hand and looks in the closet and says, you're okay, there's nothing that you have to be afraid of. And that will allow the child to go to sleep without fear. And so you have this on the outline. Knowledge plus love helps the weak person grow strong. So knowledge alone won't do it. Love alone won't do it. But it's, it's the combination together. What Paul wanted them to learn to ask themselves in the first century. So imagine yourself in the church of Rome where there were Jews who remember Paul called weak because they, they believed they had to do all these laws to please God. And the, the Gentiles, who were free in Christ, and Paul describes them, remember himself being a Jew, as those who are strong in faith. So what Paul wanted them to learn to ask in this context was, is it really worth it, for the Gentiles in particular, is it really worth it to harm a brother or sister just so I can enjoy the freedom, freedom of eating a particular food? And Paul says, no, uh, it's not just that freedom. You need to limit your freedom to help your brother in Christ grow to maturity. And so, yeah, they need to grow to maturity at the same time that we need to, to, to be sensitive to them and their situation. So the second way that we're to deal with the conscience of a weak brother is that number two, our priority has to be the kingdom of God. Verse 16, therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. It's like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. You know, they, they tended to, to major in the minors. They tended to focus on things that were, the, the Pharisees, on things that were not that important. 
But like it says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, if you wanted to underline one verse in this second half of Romans 14, that's the verse to underline. That's the key verse in this, in this last part of Romans uh, 14. That's the memory verse for the week. If you want to memorize a great verse of Romans 14 that kind of sums up the whole chapter, verse 17 is that. So let's break these characteristics down. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the primary element of God's kingdom is righteousness and God's righteousness in our lives. That's what we want to build in our lives. So the righteousness, when God's righteousness is in our lives, it produces a longing for holiness. So there's a question that you can ask yourself. Do you long for God's holiness to be a part of your life? Do you long for that holiness? There's also a, 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 a desire, a, a growing desire to, to know God better. Do you desire to know God better? That, that comes from the Holy Spirit that's been planted in your life. And is there a thirsting for God, even an intense thirsting for God? Do you have that thirsting in your life? Paul, uh, David, the King David put it beautifully in Psalm 42 when he wrote this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, you can pray that for yourself. God, give me a thirst for you. I want my soul to pant for you. Do you think God will hold that back from you? No, he won't. When you thirst for God, you're spending personal time in the word of God. You're allowing it to soak into your life. Uh, this, in the last month, I've had a couple people ask me, so where do I start reading in the Bible? And I always will say, start reading a gospel. Read the gospel of Mark. Read the gospel of John. Uh, read one of the gospels first. And he said, I don't have to start in Genesis. Uh, <clears throat> and I was like, no. He said, that's good because I get lost pretty fast, especially when I get to like Leviticus. I am lost. I was like, Go to the Gospels, spend some time in the New Testament before you get to the Old. The Old Testament's important. You gotta get there. But let's spend some time as a new believer in the New Testament, especially the Gospels, to be like Jesus. And we're spending time at the same time that we're reading God's word, we're talking to God. We're turning his words and we're, we're, we're reflecting them back to him in prayer. We're praying his word for ourselves. That's also very important. And where do these come from? They come from the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. It's what it says in the first part of Romans chapter five. If we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, then we'll not fight over minor issues. We'll realize that they're minor issues. I know that one of the reasons that we're a healthy church is that we focus on our priorities come from the word of God. And that's where they should come from. Anytime we face any situation in our lives, the first thing we should ask is, what does the word of God say about this? And how can I take those principles from the word of God and put them into practice in my life? And of course, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse six, another great passage that we can pray for ourselves. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we hunger and thirst for that righteousness and God will fill us. So do you have an appetite for God? Do you have a good appetite for God? 
if you don't pray for it. But if you do, by all means, leverage it and get into the word and get in with a group of other believers and study the word together. You know, I've had a couple people also in the last few months come up to me and say, you know, I just don't feel close to God. Well, if my response was, you know what? Are you in a fellowship of other believers? And both of the, these people said, no, they aren't. Well, I was like, you've got to get into a fellowship with other believers. It's like D.L. Moody one time when he went to a lady's house. Uh, it was one of his parishioners that was now known as Moody Church in Chicago. Uh, he went and visited her because he had heard that she thought she didn't need to go to church anymore. So he visited her, and when he did, there was a, a, a burning red cold fire that was going on in her fireplace, and he took one of the logs from the middle that was bright red, and he set it out in front. And she said... And he said to this lady, what do you think will happen to that log when it sits out in front of the other log? She said, well, it's, it's already not red. It's going to die out. And he said, that's exactly what's going to happen to you if you separate yourself from fellowship with other believers. C.S. Lewis said when people fall away from the Lord, they don't change their theology. He said they're out of fellowship. And so we need to be studying the word together. We need to be in a small group. Our goal is everyone to be in some kind of a small group together where you're studying the word, where you're, where you're praying together. And then, of course, to be doing those on your own. In fact, this next Sunday afternoon, uh, we have the second of four classes that I teach on discipleship, on spiritual maturity. And we talk about how to spend time in the word on your own, how to, get, how to have an effective prayer life, how to have a devotional time alone with God. And so if, if you need a refresher or if you'd like to learn about some of those things, come and join me next Sunday afternoon, two to five o'clock in the upper room. <clears throat> we talk about those things and those are important for us in our spiritual lives. And then after that, after righteousness is peace. Peace with God is the secret to peace with one another. One commentator put it this way. <clears throat> Kingdom peace is an inner unflappability which remains undisturbed by minor irritations. A quiet assurance that God is at work. I like that. And what a great prayer for us all to pray. Lord, give me an inner unflappability. Do you know the peace of God? And through his peace, do you know peace with other believers especially, even with other unbelievers? That's what God wants to give us. And then there's joy. Our joy here will never equal the joy that we will have one day in heaven. That joy will be full, to the fullest, amazing. But, and this is on your outline, something of this joy should be observable right now in all who are truly members of God's family. So let me ask you that question. Is joy evident in your life? It should be. We have so much that we can be joyful for as believers. And so we should focus on that joy and, and, and let other people know. Have, has anybody ever asked you what makes you so joyful during such a difficult time, whatever that might be in your life? Boy, I, maybe that should be a goal for all of us. That somebody should ask us that question that we should be so joyful that people know it 
and see it in our lives. Of all the people in the world, believers should be the most joyful. So what should be the first in our lives, as someone said, is not the externals, all the things that can get us down, but the eternals. I like that. In other words, the righteousness and peace and joy of verse 17. Paul concludes this thought in verse 18, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So I think the essence of what Paul is saying here is this, that the kingdom of God is either not in your life or at, maybe not at work in your life if your rights are so important that you're willing to separate from a brother or sister who doesn't agree with you over what it says back in verse one is a disputable matter. That it can be a differing matter of opinion. And so, again, that, that leads us to the third one. The way we're to deal with the conscience of a weak brother is that we're called to help each other grow. Paul says again that he's, what he's already said, but he introduces the idea that we're to think about how we can benefit each other with the exercise of our Christian liberty. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So the next thing you have on your outline is this, both the strong and the weak believer need to grow. The strong believer needs to grow in love, and the weak believer needs to grow in knowledge. And when there's a weak brother or sister, we lovingly deal with them in their immaturity to bring them along. We point them to the word. Maybe we need to have a Bible study with them on a topic. But if we really love them, we will help them grow. It's wrong for any of us to rest in our immaturity. We all have room to grow spiritually. That should be a goal for all of us, to grow as much as we can in our relationship with God, to be the most mature person that God wants us to be, to grow to the fullest of our potential in, in, in our God life, if you will. So it's, it's wrong for us to stay immature, and you have a choice, and you can, you, can, you can grow in your relationship with God, and you should grow in your relationship with God. There are obviously passages we can study. There are passages that we can memorize and hide in our hearts. There may be helpful books that you could read that will help you in a particular area that, that you're struggling with. If, you're, if you want a book recommendation, come and I'll give you one or I'll give you 20, however many you want. When there's a weak brother or sister, we encourage them. Um, think of it this way. When a child comes into a home, everything changes. When they're toddlers, uh, you start making sure that knives and scissors and other dangerous objects are away from them. You don't want them to harm themselves. And as they mature, as they grow up, then you can tr more, treat them more like an adult. When, when a child is learning to walk, they fall all the time. But an adult that falls all the time, you think, well, there's something wrong. That's not the way it should be. 
And so we need to provide a safe place for young Christians to be able to grow. We, we can't treat them like babies all of their lives. We can't, can't treat them like toddlers all their lives that grow up. And so we need a safe place for them. We all need to, as, as, Paul, as Peter prayed for the people that he was writing to in 2 Peter chapter 3, grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. That's my prayer, I've said that before, for us, that we would all grow in grace. We have received the amazing grace of God. And so we need to communicate that grace to other people. We need to deal with other people with a lot of grace. And at the same time, the knowledge of God. Those are like the two ends of that balancing pole. Grace and the knowledge of God. And so we're free. Yes, we are free indeed. This is on your outline, but we need to keep asking if we're doing, if what we're doing is building others up, especially those who are younger in the faith. So that's how it works, you know, in the church. That's how it should work. That the strong help the weak, the weak become strong, and those who were weak turn around and help others who were weak, who are weak, to grow strong as well. And so we, we keep helping each other. And Paul concludes this with verse 21. Look at verse 21 in your Bibles. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. At its root, the word better here in verse 21 could be in verse 21 could be translated beautiful. Think about that. It's beautiful not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. The the behavior is beautiful because it shows there's love for the other people involved in the family of God. It's beautiful because it's unselfish. It's beautiful because it shows that we recognize what secondary issues are. Those disputable issues. A differing opinion. And it's especially beautiful because it puts others first. And this is what Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, I want you to be like Jesus. And how does he flesh that out? He says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. All this is often not easy but it is the way of agape love. What's agape love? It is love in spite of. It's love, uh, you know, phileo love is I I love you, um, uh, I I love you because you're my friend. We have something in common. But agape love is I love you in spite of the fact that you've done something to hurt me. I love you in spite of your immaturity or whatever it might be. It's, It's an agape, that's how God loves us. God loves you and loves me in spite of who we are. In spite of our sinfulness, God loves us. That's what I hope we communicate to our kids uh, is an agape love. You can't do anything. I, I would tell my kids, I hope every parent can tell their kids, you can't do anything to make me love you any less. I can be disappointed. I can be hurt. I can be, there's a lot of things that can happen, but it's not gonna change my love for you because my love for you hopefully as a parent to a child, is an agape love. It's a love in spite of. And then the fourth way that we're to deal with the conscience 
of a weak brother is that when liberty hinders the grace of God, liberty must yield. There are for sure certain truths that all Christians must accept. We all accept the fact that Jesus Christ is God the Son. That's how he was raised from the dead. He's God the Son. We accept the Bible as the authority, as our authority of the Word of God. Um, Those are foundational to our faith. But there are areas of honest disagreement on secondary issues that cannot and should not be made a test of fellowship. Uh, We have to be in the habit of extending God's grace because we've received it. Paul says that even if a person's convictions are immature, they must never violate their conscience. So we're to make sure that, and this is on your outline that all actions are done with a clear conscience. What else has to be done to ensure unity? Well, Paul breaks it down here, and in verse 22, he gives advice to the strong, and in verse 23, he gives advice to the weak. So his advice to the strong is this, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Paul is saying, keep the neutral things between you and God. Don't make a big deal. Just for the sake of the, of, the, uh, of the relationship you have with your brothers, you need to go into it forgiving them. Even though they haven't sinned against you, even though they've done nothing, you go in realizing that you're gonna just give, you're gonna, you're gonna yield to them, if you will. And you're blessed if no one is being led towards sin because of you. You're blessed because you sense God's pleasure. You know, it was the well-known preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who was known to smoke cigars. And you might even think hearing that, what, Spurgeon smoked cigars? One time he was walking along the street and he saw a sign above a business that said, we sell the cigars that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And when Spurgeon saw that sign, He thought of this verse and he said, I'm giving up smoking because I don't want to do anything that will lead to somebody else stumbling. So what he felt he was free to do uh, and believed it wasn't sin, realized it could be a sin for someone else and he gave it up. What was for him a freedom, he did not want others to be caused to stumble. The end of verse 22, blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. That's what Spurgeon thought of. And then verse 23 gives advice to the weak. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. One commentator said it this way that I think explains it very clearly. Here's what he wrote. It's on your outline. Paul has advice for the one who is weak in the faith. They might do something because everyone else is doing it or because they don't, want it, they don't want to be alone, or because they don't want to be different, or because they don't want to be unpopular. Paul's answer is that if for any of those reasons a believer goes against his conscience, they are guilty of sin. A neutral thing only becomes a right thing when it's done out of faith, out of the reason conviction that it's the right thing to do. So conscience is not infallible. God's word is infallible. Our conscience is not infallible. 
However, it's always wrong to go against your conscience. So in summary, this is what Paul says we need to do if we're to build unity in the church, which is what we're supposed to do in the midst of our diversity. Never be the source of stumbling for someone. Uh, Live as citizens of God's kingdom and concentrate on the eternals, not the externals. Actively pursue what will benefit other believers and do everything with a clear conscience before God. So as a family, Claremont Emanuel is a very diverse group. Uh, Diversity is part of our story, but it's not the best part of our story. The best part of our story is the unity that God has given us in Christ. That brings joy. And that's what we're supposed to embrace with all that we are. You know, dancing along that high wire of liberty is a dangerous business and it's reserved for those who can balance self-control on one end and love for others on the other. But the joy of that freedom is worth it. I wanna end with this. Uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll tells about a time that he was, had a super busy week of ministry in Northern California. And uh, he had gone to a restaurant to kind of celebrate the week. And as he was looking at the menu and deciding what to order, he said, man, the perfect thing would be a, a glass of wine with this meal. Why not? He thought, I'm all alone here. I'm not going to make anybody stumble and fall. So when his waiter came to take his order, he said to uh, Chuck Swindoll, he said, you know, your voice sounds familiar. And Swindoll kind of blew it off. But in the end, he decided that he'd order a glass of iced tea with his meal. And at the end of the meal, he gave the waiter his credit card and the waiter looked at it and looked at him and said, I knew it was you. And the waiter went on to say how he had just completed a recovery program for alcoholism. And Swindoll said to him, way to go. I admire you for doing that. And he shared, this waiter shared some other things with Swindoll that made it clear that the choice of drinks encouraged this young man in his sobriety and ultimately in his relationship with Christ. So where's the line? I I wish I could draw one for you. I wish I could draw one for me. Swindoll's conscience told him to avoid a simple glass of wine and thankfully it helped someone. Maybe we could sum this all up by saying, you know what? This is Paul's call for all of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You might ask, how do you do that? I think you've got to know God's word. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to each other. Be aware of of what's going on around you and, and ask questions. Find out where people are at. And by all means, keep growing in grace and the knowledge of God. I want to end with a verse that you've got on your outline, and I'd like us to read it out loud together. It's Galatians 5.13 from the message. Let's read it together. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, will you help us to never be the source of stumbling to others? Will you help us to 
Seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and know that you'll take care of the rest. So help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, to be sensitive to the people around us. Help us to always follow the promptings of your Holy Spirit. We want to live out what Paul reminded us in Philippians 2 was to be like Jesus when he said, don't look out for only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. Help us, Lord, to do our level best to keep a clear conscience before you and before those around us in everything we do. And if somehow, Lord, you've spoken through your word today to draw people who are here, present, people who are listening online to yourself, may they respond in faith right now to you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's our benediction. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.